The bunkhouse was a long, rectangular building. Inside, the walls were whitewashed and the floor unpainted. In three walls, there were small, square windows, and in the fourth, a solid door with a wooden latch. Against the walls were eight bunks, five of them made up with blankets, and the other three showing their burlap ticking. Over each bunk was nailed an apple box with an opening forward so that it made two shelves for the personal belongings of the occupant of the bunk. And those shelves were loaded with little articles, soap and talcum powder, razors, and those western magazines ranchmen love to read and scoff at and secretly believe. So says John Steinbeck in... I think one of the best sentences of the book of Mice and Men. I'm Dr. Gordon McCallan. Mother Zachary Kelly, and welcome back to Literary Guys. We got our bottle of the Grapes of Wrath, and we've got our gloves full of Vaseline, ready to talk about this installment of Of Mice and Men. There's something about that quote that, on my second read, Mm -hmm. I I just kind of stopped and I thought about for a while. Mm -hmm. Both for its bit of humor value, but also this idea of popular culture, in this case, these Western magazines, that, oh, we all laugh at. Like, oh, how silly is that? Yeah. But at the same time, we secretly believe. That, to me, is really about America. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, we all scoff at the fact that the American dream may still exist, or that it would be possible to achieve a better way of life, or that we could all be famous, or that... Any of these things could be true. We scoff at it, and then we secretly believe it. Got that dynamic between George and Lenny, where George is feeding Lenny a story that comforts Lenny Mm -hmm. about that farm that they'll one day have with the rabbit hutch. And it's unclear if George is completely making this out of whole cloth or if there is some truth to it. Uh, And maybe he might partially believe it himself, but it, it does seem like it's a story he's telling just to comfort Lenny. But everyone who hears the story, and several characters do throughout the course of this novella, scoff at it initially. Mm-hmm. And then within minutes, kind of come back and being like, well, wait, tell me a little bit more about this. Can you let me in on this? Yeah. Yeah. It's very heartbreaking. And, and again, one of the, the reasons why I'm so glad we read this and are talking about it now, because I think it shows that... You know, we're not all that dissimilar as people. It doesn't matter if you are the, you know, historically marginalized African American stable hand or you are the ranch owner's son. Every one of us yearns for something more. And maybe what we're yearning for is a far reach from where we're at. Maybe what we're yearning for is just, you know, a little bit of security down the road. But at the end of the day, that yearning should unite us. And instead, it really tears us apart. Mm hmm. And again, like we talked about in the previous episode, this is kind of part of the American dream. Like, this is the way that we as Americans seem to lead our lives. Uh, Something I wanted to make sure we touched on today, because I I know it's kind of a weird idea for literary guys, but I thought maybe we would talk about the plot of this book, because there actually is one. Uh, And I would actually argue that it's more than just a excuse for pretty language like we had with Lolita. For sure. So let's just dig into that, or at least the first part of this book, which is George and Lenny getting off a bus, and we meet them walking down a road Mm -hmm. and walking into a patch of trees a few miles away from the place where they have 
gotten employment. And it's implied that this employment was sort of gained secondhand through either a government program or some other means, and that they were supposed to show up on this ranch. And of course, they're not going to make it by the end of the day, so they're going to camp out in this uh, beautiful, idyllic sort of forest setting. And we learn in this time that George is concerned that if something were to happen, mm-hmm. that they should meet back at this place. Right. And I think that this is Steinbeck providing some foreshadowing, but he starts to tease this idea that we learn more and more about throughout the course of the novel, that these two guys who have traveled together and somehow complete each other as human beings, the things didn't end so well at the last place where they had employment. And at the beginning, it's unclear as to exactly why, but it later becomes clear that Lenny, who is the less intellectual, shall we say, of the pairing, had essentially sexually assaulted a woman, or at least she interpreted it. That is the case. It's unclear if that's what he did or did not intend. Probably didn't, but can't be entirely sure. No, we can't. And that the two of them had to leave town before they would have been presumably hanged Mm -hmm. for this misconduct. So George has an escape plan in mind before they even begin employment at this place. We see the scene of them out in the woods, two men without immediate employment, without the attachments of society. And yet they're still thinking about this world that they want to achieve, this farm that they want to be able to afford and be able to live on. And we learn about Lenny's attachment to rabbits and the fact that he wants to care for someone or something, actually, in this particular case. I actually think that that scene, even though it bodes very dark things, that it's very pure. Mm -hmm. It's very much two men out in the woods being honest with each other. There's no pretense in that environment. But We also begin to get the sense that George is a little condescending towards Lenny. Uh, He tries to care for him. He is a little bit angry and fitful. He's doing his best, would you say? I would say so, but it's still a lot for him. And he even says that he feels held back by Lenny. There's a quote early on in the book. God, you're a lot of trouble, said George. I could get along so easy and so nice if I didn't have you on my tail. I could live so easy and maybe have a girl. Now, I don't want to comment on the heteronormativity of this whole situation, but I will because this is my podcast. (laughs) There's the sense that if only but X, Mm -hmm. I would be able to achieve this idea of quote-unquote America. He blames Lenny for this, although George is probably just as complicit in his inability in order to actually achieve that dream. Yeah, and it's interesting. Steinbeck does this two years later in The Grapes of Wrath, which he wrote after this novella, with the character of Noah Jode, who the Jode family is a bunch of Okies heading out to California where this entire plot takes place. They have a brief respite in a very bucolic setting by a river. And Noah Jode, who was dropped on his head as a child, is a very simplistic, you know, mentally challenged individual, decides to stay there. He remains there. He doesn't follow the Jodes on the rest of what turns out to be their very turbulent and fraught journey because 
to him, he sees from that simplistic view what the world is really about. You kind of see Steinbeck playing with that with the character of Lenny in that, you know, some of Lenny's ideas obviously are very misinformed and he doesn't realize his own strengths so he ends up causing a lot of harm to others but some of his ideas are very pure you know and he is not thinking about the next pool hall or brothel that he can you know spend his money at he's thinking about you know just getting some rabbits to care for Um, we've got the character of candy that older gentleman who is on the farm that they're about to go to who at the time is just caring for his elderly dog Right. And needs that responsibility and just something to nurture and care for. And maybe ultimately that's the secret to life is just have something or someone else or some other living being to care for. And that can provide some semblance of happiness. And so it's interesting that he Steinbeck uses these characters to kind of illustrate that thought that a lot of those who like to complicate things might forget. So I think in the case of Candy, who Mm -hmm. owned that dog, that there's sort of the sense of you have something great, and what does he do? He lets everyone else convince him that he should let this dog die. Yeah. And should be put out of his misery. Candy doesn't feel that way. Nope. I mean, even if you have the thing that you love and that you sought for, that society will tell you, just destroy it. Yeah. And how amazing is it that we can put that whole theme and almost bookend it in this, again, 30,000 word novella of taking that dog out back to shoot it because it's a humane thing. And uh, spoiler alert, taking Lenny out back to shoot him because mm-hmm. maybe it's a humane thing. It really is, upon further review, such a well-crafted story with so much thought put into it. And not that I relish at all in the, the sadness of putting Candy's dog out of presumably misery. Steinbeck does such a good job of dragging it out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Multiple times, it's like you can sense everyone waiting for the gunshot. Yeah. And then it goes on long enough, you wonder if it was going to happen at all. And then it does. It's really great writing. But to kind of bring us to that point, what happens when George and Lenny, the next morning, after their night in the woods, come into town? The town of Soledad, which is Spanish for solitude, perhaps one of the many themes of this story. Mm -hmm. That they go to the ranch Mm -hmm. and are reprimanded for being late and are shown their living quarters, as described in the quote that began this episode, it's very clear that Lenny, he is a, a beast of a man. Like, yep, yep. he is able to do work of multiple men, and yet also is as dangerous as multiple men. We have a number of scenes here that start to develop the interaction between Lenny, George, and all the other men who are working in the fields, essentially, of this ranch. But we also start to see the tensions there. And I think the one which is most readily apparent and most important to the plot is Curly. Curly's an interesting character, right? What is going on with that guy? In addition to uh, Crooks, in addition to uh, how the Crooks character might be treated by a modern lens, and then the themes of euthanasia, yet another reason why this book is routinely banned is the character of Curly. Because he's got some weird stuff going on. That he does, and Family Guy was not afraid to go there. Nor are we. Uh, Our sponsor for this week is 
Glove Vaseline. Want to send a message to everyone around you that you're into some kinky but strangely non-specific sex stuff? Try Glove Vaseline and have scholars talking and schools banning you for years to come. I mean, on Literary Guys, we've never been afraid to go there. Um, <laughs> what is going on there? Like, I'm... <laughs> it's very non-specific, right? <laughs> No idea. I mean, I have a few ideas, but like, it's unclear. It's unclear. The closest, the thing that I can wrap my head around the most is that, you know, as a ranch hand, your hands are going to be very coarse. Yes. And perhaps Curly feels like the hand that he touches his wife with, perhaps intimately, should not be coarse. But that seems like a very long, a very lengthy way to go. It seems like he's taking the long road if that's where he's going with it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's something far more perverse that uh, we're not meant to know yet. We're not ready as a society, and it will become In clear. In 2022, <laughs> I don't know how many years after this book was written. Yeah, it is such an interesting anecdote that they don't really return to ever. <laughs> it's just there. No, they do, though. Later on in the book, I think, they uh, they bring it up again. Well, which hand was crushed? The other hand. That is what I assume, too. Yes. And then the hand that picks up the shotgun as they're going to track down Lenny mm-hmm. is, I assume, the gloved hand filled with Vaseline. So, you know, maybe there... This book does such a wonderful job of, like, bookending and mirroring stuff and repeating themes. So I'm sure it all goes into that. But yeah, I haven't found a scholarly take on that yet that makes any lick of sense. So if you are working in the graduate English department somewhere in the world and you need a thesis topic, I think we got one for you. (laughs) What would that thesis be called? It needs to start with the word on, as all good theses do. I mean, it is such an interesting thing. And the the character of Curly is very interesting, right? Because as you mentioned in the last episode, his wife is kind of the catalyst for the dark direction that this plot goes. Mm -hmm. Certainly his wife is not well liked by any of the ranch hands. It's Mm -hmm. immediately clear that she's causing problems. And of course, there is this very toxic masculine approach to a attractive woman. That, man, she's just causing problems by just being here with her body. And, and I don't think that's an unfair way to look at this. But I would also ask that any of our, you know, potential English scholars out there who are listening to this podcast also look at how this woman who is, in fact, not even given a name mm-hmm. in the course of the narrative, how she is described after, again, spoiler alert, Lenny maybe loves on her a little too hard and breaks her neck. She is described far more sympathetically in death, which I think is a really interesting choice. Mm-hmm. I think it is, to me, Steinbeck, who created, for my money, one of the best female characters of all time, Ma Jode, the matriarch of the Jode family, the actual hero of Grapes of Wrath. A man who isn't afraid to write strong female characters is writing a character who we only see through the male lens. And that only in her death, only in repose, does she receive any kind of sympathy from the narrative. I think that's a really interesting take to me on masculinity. Probably another reason why this novella is often misunderstood. But I'm interested to see what your take is on that. Well, I mean, the way I would think about it is I actually think she's given quite a bit of agency in this novel, particularly Mm. given when it was written. To me, it feels like her choice to be the seductress Mm -hmm. is indeed a choice. It is not painted on her as like, oh, she's just a one-dimensional character. I actually feel like she's very intentional. Yeah. 
she might be looking to make a little trouble to stir the pot, as they say, but she is not portrayed as someone who is not without their own agency. And I think given the context of the story, given that she is, and I'm not joking here, the only female character in this entire story, that she is someone who, while she meets her demise, very much had agency in the environment around her. It's, it's, I mean, it's impossible not to sympathize with her. This woman. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. This woman who you can guess from the backstory she chooses to divulge was always this attractive person who Mm -hmm. other men probably preyed on. She tells a lot of these stories about, oh, you know, my ex boyfriend used to tell me that I could have been a, you know, an actress in Hollywood and, and everything like that. This woman who had these large dreams, not unlike the homestead that. Lenny and George hope to one day have that were completely dashed and she settled for this guy Curly who I feel like she thought Curly was going to be a far more sensitive man than he was Mm -hmm. potentially an actual friend for her and maybe in Curly's mind that Vaseline glove was his way of being that quote unquote sensitive friend for her but she's clearly not getting what she needs from her husband and if the attention of other men is at least fulfilling her in this very sad existence that she's just trying to scrape through and survive, who can judge her? On my second read of this book, I was far more sympathetic to her as a character. She wanted something. She wanted something better. She did. That yearning for the life of a, a movie star or whatever. I mean, that's real. It is genuine that that's what she wanted. And... The disappointment was palpable Mm -hmm. that she brought into that bunkhouse. Again, that we've talked about a few times here. This was not a glamorous place. No. It was quite the opposite. And yet, she was a star there. Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what she wanted all along. Yeah. No, I I agree with you. And I think the the criticism that this story sometimes gets for, again, having only one unnamed female character, Mm -hmm. they're missing the point that this is a novel through the masculine gaze. And we have an author who has proven time and time again that he is very much a champion of, at least as far as the 1930s goes, the woman's viewpoint. But I love that, you know, you have these guys who are so quick to cast off their own problems onto this woman, too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's Absolutely. The fact that George, he's well-meaning, but the fact that George is so quick to, like, demonize her and tell Lenny, you know, you stay away from her. She's a troublemaker. He's trouble, that one. Not, hey, Lenny, maybe <laughs> be more gentle with people and don't mm-hmm. reach out and grab women who don't want to be grabbed like you did at our last place. That discussion has never had. It's still in that masculine gaze, the woman's fault, the temptress, ultimately. Mm-hmm. But I think Steinbeck is well aware of that toxicity in 1930s society and still in our society today. And I love that this novel tackles that in a, perhaps a far more subtle way than we're comfortable with in the modern era. Well, I think that's probably a good place to wrap things up today because I know that plot-wise, we're going to be able to start the next episode with discussion of the most masculine of things, a fist fight. (sighs) Gotta love a good fight. Yeah, so I think that's probably a good place to wrap things up. I really do like getting into this novel. Like, we've done two episodes now, and we're not even halfway through this book yet. Like, there's so much here that speaks to, I don't know, kind of the conflict that is inherent within men. Yeah. We talked in the first episode about the eternal recurrence of the traits of men. And 
now we're seeing this group of men who all are trapped somewhere in that cycle. And to look ahead into what happens and what devolves very quickly is nothing short of tragic. And if you're keeping track at home, the three works of literature we've identified as being the most true to the masculine experience are Old Man in the Sea, Brokeback Mountain, and Of Mice and Men. All works under 30,000 words, which just tells you, you don't need a lot of words to understand men. No, you you absolutely do not. And in fact, I think more words just dilute the message. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it is time that we wrap things up here then. Enjoying here this bottle of Barringer Brothers. And I'm not sure there's too much more to say here. Until next time, this has been Literary Guys, signing off.